Welcome to another episode of the DC Comics Chronicles. As always, I'm your host, Adam, and with me is my co-host, the Emerald Enthusiast himself, Donnie. Donnie, how's it going? Hey, what's up, comic book fans? It's the man whose ring runs on fanboy energy, the podcasting machine, the big nerd in green, here to talk to you about Infinite Frontier, number one from DC Comics. Yes, and it is not, not only are we doing Infinite Frontier, we're doing another book, which is... The Green Arrow 80th Anniversary Edition. As you can see from my background. So, uh, we're both uh, brandishing green today. Yes. <laughs> You're the lantern, and I've got uh, good old Ollie behind me. Yes, you might say we're hard podcasting heroes. That, that is very well. That should have been the name of our damn podcast. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, sometimes you you miss opportunities, and that might have been one of them. But anyway, yeah. uh, we're here, and uh, we are going to talk about these two fantastic issues. So, Donnie, kick us off with some information on Infinite Frontier number one. Infinite Frontier number one with the creative team of Williamson, Zermanico, and Ferrardo Jr., and it opens up with the Thomas Wayne version of Batman from Flashpoint crashing on Earth-23. And we see the parents of Calvin Ellis say, you know, we moved away from the city to get away from all this, and all of a sudden here's Batman. We've got to tell Calvin. So very interesting opening scene. What did you now- think? Donnie, I just want to mention out. No, it's a Thomas Wayne version of yes, of Batman from yes. Flashpoint, mm-hmm. uh, and you know who he's married to, right? Who would that be? Martha. Why did you say that name? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> who in that universe is the Joker? So, mm. yeah, in the Flashpoint universe, not on Earth twenty three. Right. No, the Flashpoint. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought that was very interesting. Not everybody liked that, you know, kind of else world. Oh, I thought it was very. You know, listen, I I really liked the the the, the Batman Flashpoint, the, the two or three issue storyline was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. But um, in I in terms of, I liked the whole, you know, the the Alice, Mon Pi Alice. Mm-hmm. Finding Batman in a rocket ship, it kind of parallels the Kent's finding. Yeah. Uh, finding, uh, you know, baby Kellel in the right. rocket all those years ago. And I guess baby Calvin was found the same way. Uh, well, only this time, instead of being like, oh, a cute little baby, they're like, not again. <laughs> it's a full grown, old, crusty old man. Yeah. And <laughs> angry, bitter. Uh, yeah. Give me the baby. I'll take. I'll take the baby that poops himself over the, <laughs> the angry old man any day of the week. Um, yeah, uh, man. Oh, but so, uh, yeah, I thought it was a very interesting parallel. For sure, like yeah. to open up like that. <laughs> on any other comic, this would be a Superman origin, but it's it's Batman arriving or a Batman, Batman as as Ezra Miller. Uh, Ezra Miller, yeah. <laughs> So elsewhere on Earth, we see Alan Scott, a.k.a. the original Green Lantern, and his son Obsidian are taking down the villain Extant. 
And if you are not up on recent events, after Death Metal, we see that, or within Death Metal, we see that the universe was once again destroyed and remade. Now we have, you know, what's what's called the concept of the omniverse, basically saying anything that has happened in DC's history, anywhere, at any point, any time, is now in play. So it's all out there. It happened somewhere. And so basically what that really means is if a writer wants to come along, and tell a story about Earth to Superman. Mm-hmm. You know, Cal L, as in K A L dash L. They can. They can. Well, in, in one of our recent podcasts on the Flash, we saw we saw the Flash run into the Super Friends continuity back from the seventies. Yes. Yeah. You know, they're saying that that's not just an adaptation anymore. That happened somewhere. So. Yeah. 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 So. Well, now, the big story point here is that Alan and Obsidian are going to meet Jade, that is Alan's daughter, and she is missing. Mm-hmm. So, next up, we see a meeting with Director Bones and By Karen. the way, I like seeing, I just want to say, I like seeing uh, Alan and his son kind of mm-hmm. superheroing together. That, that yeah, was yeah. nice to see. And the conversation that they were having before is mm-hmm. kind of, you know, yeah, about how each of them battles different events, like world-shattering events, to, or you know, the local, the local bad guy, flavor of the month guy. Like right. the difference in scale was amazing, you know. It's yeah. just, but that's what passes as a regular, you know, conversation within the superhero community. Sure. Sure. Yeah, it was very interesting. And of course, Alan's still concerned about you know his coming out, and you know uh, Obsidian's like, no, 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 that's kind of small potatoes at this point compared to you know what's what's happening here. Yeah. So yeah. So again, next up we see the meeting with Director Bones and Cameron Chase, and Director Bones is concerned that humanity now knows about this concept of multiverse and lots of different universes, alternate realities out there. And he's worried about the implications of that. Yeah. So, which actually plays out later on in the issue in, in a really interesting way that I thought was very timely. So, what See, was that, your impression? Yeah, I, I figure I figure that, I mean, it's interesting to know how would people react if they found out that there was an omniverse where there are many different Earths, different versions of you, uh, you know, theoretically around out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've clearly thought about this often. <laughs> I'll just get ready to say, you know, married to your countless wives. As yeah, you and, and listen, if I found this out in real life, I'd be like, see, I knew it, and I wasn't <laughs> crazy. So somewhere out there, there could in fact be a version of me married to Margot Robbie. And <laughs> right, I just sure. want to point out that that person... That version of me is a lucky SOB, and I'm coming for you, sir. So be ready. Hey, hey man, you know what they say. If you're going to dream, dream big. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so next, the scene cuts to Thomas Wayne being attended to by the Justice Incarnate. Yeah. Including Captain Carrot, who's a character that, at least from my reading, I haven't come across for a long yeah. time. Okay. Actually, yeah. I got to say, of all the characters... If I didn't see that one ever again, it wouldn't bother me. Like, <laughs> I've never had this fascination of seeing what would Bugs Bunny be like if he was Superman. Superhero. Like, <laughs> just, 
it never in and I think that's a Graham Morrison creation, correct? I don't remember. I remember I had the original Captain Carrot comics when I was like nine years old. So, so, it, so it can't be. Graham yeah. Morrison. So I mean, yeah, it would have been a oh, long time. Yeah. Graham Morrison brought him back, so I won't blame Graham Morrison for that. <laughs> yeah, I remember having you know like the the first like I don't know a few issues of that whatever, which entertained me at the time. Not so much now. Right. However, yeah. yeah. This is an interesting group led by Calvin Ellis, a.k.a. President Superman. So we also see that Barry is running through the multiverse, and he ends up on Earth Omega. So what did you think of that, sir? That was very... Of course, it's continuing the payoff of the end of Infinite Frontier number zero, mm-hmm. where we see Darkseid, right? Right, exactly. And right. now, Flash... Is coming to the realization that oh crap, we're like we're in deep trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they've, they, I, I think the heroes, by heroes I mean the Justice League, thought that they had vanquished Darkseid or that the problem was dealt with. Right. Clearly, that's not the case. That is not the case. No. And the look on the Flash's face, like his sheer shock at, at the devastation that he saw, the death that. It's it just like, man, things are gonna get about to get a lot worse. Like that's the takeaway. Um, but also, just to go back for a second to when Thomas Wayne is being, you know, interviewed by Justice Incarnate, and Calvin Ellis, you know, sort of swoops down and uh, you know. Uh, Batman's getting a crash course on, you know, Captain Carrot introduces himself, and whoever else was there introduces himself. And then Superman comes down and he goes, uh, and, and, and Tom, I almost said Bruce, Thomas slyly says, cause I, look, anybody that, 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 that floats in there with an S on their chest, yeah, I mean, you know who they are, or you know who they're supposed to be. But the way Thomas says, oh, and who are you supposed to be? Like, you know, like that condescending <laughs> way. And it's like, man, every version of Batman has to stick it to Superman in that way. Like, it's an unwritten <laughs> rule that if, if they're going to have a conversation, there's going to be some snide mark, <laughs> no right. matter who's underneath the cowl. Um, yeah. Well, it's like Henry Cavill said that one time. He said, the toughest part of being Batman is having an attitude problem. And the toughest part of being a su- being Superman is that Batman has an attitude problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was funny. And then he goes, and then he says, "Well, I'm, I'm Calvin Ellis, but most people call me President Superman." And then Thomas says, "Oh, that's a that, that's a a big promotion compared to the one that where I'm from, because <laughs> that that one was tied up and and." Uh, and uh, you know, experimented on uh, yeah. for for years um, when he first landed. So big, 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 big upgrade uh, right. uh, for, for 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 this Superman. But and so he's explaining, you know, uh, or he says that he's Thomas Wayne, and he's like, it, it's a lot to get into. Just he's like, give me the Flash, and Kevin Ellis is like, okay, which, which one? one? And he's like, Barry Allen. Oh, he's like. He's like Okay, which one? Which one? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. I, I likewise. So we also see that Psycho Pirate, who played a big part in Crisis of Infinite Earths, yeah. he shows back up, and this time he's on Barry Allen's side. He's like, you know, 
we've got to find someone. Yeah. So that that someone is actually that that question is answered in a, a very speedy amount of time. We see that Roy Harper. Yeah. <laughs> ah, see, you got it. So Roy Harper is in a diner. And we see that people are talking about this, you know, concept of, you know, multiverse or omniverse, if you will. I think they just call it multiverse. And there's a person who's denying reality, no matter how much evidence he's like, no, it's not real. Even when it's Hmm. happening all around him, it's not real. I wonder if that's a parallel to something going on in our world today, Donnie. Yeah, uh, I was just like, yeah, okay, you know, I've had actual conversations with people like this on Twitter. So anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, but he's actually confronted by someone named Extract, who is a new character, to my knowledge at least. And he's initially, he seems to be overwhelmed by the, the, the backup that Extract has brought. But suddenly, something comes to his aid, and that is a Black Lantern ring. Roy Harper, Arsenal, Speedy, Red Arrow, now the new Black Lantern. And that's how this issue ends. That was quite the ending. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first heard about a new Black Lantern, he, he never even crossed my mind. Oh, me neither. I was like, wait a minute. I wasn't expecting that. But it makes sense because he died and came back to life, sort sure. of. So. And the the this ring, I mean, we saw a different type of Black Lantern ring in Death Metal. We saw uh, Batman actually use a Black Lantern ring as opposed to the way it originally was in Blackest Night, where the ring kind of wore the body of the deceased user. This seems to be a kind of you know modified ring in the way it works. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Well, that Batman, the, the Batman of the. The death metal universe. Mm-hmm. I think he was dead at some point, the original, and his consciousness was transplanted. So in a way, it, it still kind of tracks that, it, that mm-hmm. it, you know the black lantern ring goes after dead people. Sure, but it it didn't take him over the way that the other black lantern rings yeah, took it. Yeah. He just had it at one point. I remember like he brings it out in a fight with. I forget exactly who it was that he's just like he puts it on and he's like rise and he has control of these black lanterns. So, yeah. yeah. So, no, definitely a fascinating ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just glad to see Roy Harper back. I like Roy Harper, sure. Uh, like, you know, the fact that we're getting Roy Harper, we're getting um, Connor Hawk. We've got Wally West finally back where he belongs. Mm-hmm. You know, these legacy characters that, spoiler alert, you shouldn't have gotten rid of in the first place. Yeah. Dan the deal, that's on you. Uh, but anyway, uh, trying to be polite. Actually, actually the, one of the people who work at my, uh, who who is a, a uh, one of one of the people who works at my local comic book shop, a veteran reader, said the same thing. There are so many legacy characters that they got rid of that people really liked and bringing them back is a good financial decision. And again, I, I just, to me, Donnie, it seems like for these characters and mythologies, 
to last as long as they have and to continue to last beyond you or I. Uh, I mean, look, you could always go the easy way and just every five to 15 years reboot mm -hmm. the universe. But in a way that's less fun than give me legacy characters. Like, like I said, I was so happy to see Roy back in this. I, I, like, I'm so happy to see John Kent evolve into Superman. Mm -hmm. I like the fact that, you know, um, Jace Fox, or Tim Fox is, you know, his alternate name, is becoming Batman. Like, and there's Jackson Hyde, who's, who's going to become Aquaman. You know, take up the mantle. I like these ideas. And again, you can still have stories with the originals. Like, you want to pick up a Bruce Wayne story? Pick up Detective Comics. You want to pick up Clark Kent and Superman? Pick up action. You know, um, hopefully we get to, you know, the, the resurgence of Kyle at some point. Because, mm -hmm. you know... Um, Although but, I will say, you know, I've expressed to you, I think Green Lantern is benefiting greatly from Sojourner Mullane. Right. No, but what I'm saying is Green Lantern is a little different than, than your normal legacy situation because of Green Lantern is a core, whereas, you know, with the Flash, yes, the Flash is a Flash family to a degree. And, and depending on what version you're, you're, you're partaking in, some idiot will come along and say, we are the Flash when she has no business saying that. But I digress. Um, Poor Iris. But, but, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you can start that hashtag if you want. I won't buy into the poor Iris hashtag. Go ahead. Um, I like Iris in the comics. How about that? Um, and the movie version shows promise because she hasn't uttered the word, the phrase, we are the flash yet. The minute she does that, she's lost me. Yeah, but you, really right don't now, like, her, you really don't like that phrase. I'm on, for right now, I'm on her side. Show me what you got. Okay. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, apparently she might like hot dogs based on Zack Snyder's justice. We don't know. But uh, I digress. Um, but, you know, so Green Lantern is a little different. But with somebody like Green Arrow, there's literally only two or three that could take up his mantle. There's, there's Connor, Hawk, right? Mm -hmm. There's Roy Harper, or now Emiko. Right. It's going to be one of those three, right? Um, with Bruce, with Bruce Wayne, it gets a little bit more complicated. There's Dick Grayson, but he doesn't want it. He said multiple times. There's Tim Drake. There's Damian Wayne. God help us all if he ends up right. being done. Uh, <laughs> or, or, or you can go in this direction, which I like, which is, you know, Tim Fox, Jace Fox, whatever, however you want, whichever name you want to use. I, I think these kind of stories they just add to the legacy of DC. The cool thing about, about DC is, is its ability to tap into two things, the multiverse and legacy characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to me, wiping that away in favor of a brand new number one or uh, resetting the universe, I don't think that's the smart way to go. Like, look, if you want to have a modern-day reset of your universe, do what Marvel did and come up with... Uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, Ultimate X-Men, Ultimate, you know, the Ultimates. Do that. Sure, like sure. You, you know how DC is doing the, 
the Earth One graphic novels. Mm-hmm. That's that's what that's for. Okay. In my opinion. But don't 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 erase the legacy. Embrace okay. it. And I right. like that the Infinite Frontier number one and also number zero and this whole Infinite Frontier initiative mm-hmm. is back to embracing the legacy. Okay. So I, I'm I'm on board here. Likewise. And if you want to hear more interesting commentary like this, join us on a regular basis right here on the Multiverse Musings vidcast, available on YouTube. Also, the Multiverse Musings podcast, available on iTunes and Podbean. So, Donnie, before we move on to uh, our Green Arrow special, is there anything else you want to say about Infinite Frontier number one before we read it? No, you know, it was a setup for a lot of different things, and I really like the pace at which it moved. So... Um, yeah, so what would you rate it out of five for writing, five for story? Uh, art, 4.5, writing, 4.5 out of five. Yeah, I'm going to agree. It's a 4.5 across the board. Um, for a story that is dealing with the revelations of the Omniverse and having appearances by people on different Earths. Uh, I thought it was very, it was surprisingly new reader friendly. Good while, while offering some uh, payoff and advancement of the story for people who know the about the multiverse slash omniverse and also for the people who have read Infinite Frontier number zero. So again, it works on both levels. You can read it as a newbie or as a long-term fan wanting to continue the story that was set from uh, Death Metal and Infinite Frontier number zero. Mm-hmm. It works both ways. So yeah, 4.5 on both writing and art for me. All right. All right. So on to the next book. Yes, we're going to move on to the Green Arrow 80th Anniversary Edition 100-page Spectacular. Now, there is a huge amount of people, creative talents involved in this. We're going to put up the graphic, crediting everyone at the end. I'm just going to read you quickly the names yeah, of the stories. Yeah, or a graphic, here. or I will, we'll write it in the YouTube description. We'll put sure, it sure. So the stories within this issue, The Disappearing Bandit, Punching Evil, Who Watches the Watchtower, just the usual short sort of stuff. The Arrow and the Song. One, Green Man and Autumn Sun. Star City Star. Happy Anniversary. The Sympathy of Woods. Of the Woods. The Last Green Arrow Story. And Tap, Tap, Tap. Yeah. A lot of stories in this one. A lot of shorter stories. It wasn't, you know, Venom recently had like a 200th issue. Mm-hmm. Where it was one sequential, you know connecting story all the way through from start to finish mm-hmm. this wasn't that it was more of an anthology of shorter stories right um which is why you know if, if you're looking for a big sprawling story you're not going to get it here this is not that kind of issue it's a celebration of green arrow throughout his history so right yeah you know i really like that first story uh, quite a bit the, because, the disappearing bandit yeah it was old school, like 40s comic book style. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
and art. Like it was, it wasn't a, it wasn't a reprint from the forties. It was a modern story, but it was told in the way that you you tell that kind of story, and and the art echoed that. Mm-hmm. It reminded me a lot of the sixties Batman series, if it had Green Arrow. I don't know if you you got that vibe. I I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of that same type of type of storytelling. You know, very kind of. Very kid friendly, very mainstream, but I, I I liked it as well. You know, we get this golden age flavor with Green Arrow and Speedy, aka Roy Harper, about whom we just spoke, and they hear about heists coming from the disappearing bandit, who and they decide to use their trademark trick arrows to take him down, and so they use one that covers him in multicolored paint. But before he goes to jail, he takes one of the arrows, hoping that he can use it to discern Green Arrow's secret identity. What he wants to do is trade it to a crime boss in exchange for his bail. But Green Arrow is one step ahead of him because he's somehow modified and copied his tech that the bandit was using to make the arrow disappear before he can trade it. That was pretty cool. I like that. Yeah. I li- yeah. Again, very colorful, You know, very kid-friendly. Definitely kind of a blast from the past. That's the, kind of, that's the kind of storytelling I'm used to when I was a child. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like I said, it reminded me straight away from the, the 66 Batman. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, you know, I, that's, I, I grew up on watching reruns of that as a kid, go, you know, coming home from school. So I always said, anything that reminds me of that is, is, is fun for me. That's why I enjoyed it. I also enjoyed the second story quite a bit where it's Oliver gets roped into training, mm-hmm. fight training. This actually featured my favorite art from uh, from the issue. I oh. really like Yeah, I liked how both Wildcat and Oliver were drawn here. So, uh, Was this the issue that Tom Taylor and, and Nicholas Scott did, I think it was? Uh, let's see who did this. Let me see who did this story. Uh, yes, Tom Taylor and Nicholas Scott. Yep, yeah. Punching Evil. Again, first of all, let me just say, Tom Taylor can write, he can literally write the phone book. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's <laughs> one of the greatest pieces of writing I've, I've ever read. He's great. And all you got to do is, and we'll get back to it. I know we've only reviewed like one or two issues. But Night, his Nightwing. Mm-hmm. We 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 got to catch back up with that because it's been great, Donnie, and and and, and the fact that he's he's handling the John Kent Superman book has me you know grinning from mm-hmm. ear to ear. I'm so excited. But and Nicholas Scott's one of the best in the business. Our so. art is fantastic. Yeah. But so yeah, Oliver gets roped into training with Wildcat because you know he. Basically, Black Canary is concerned that he only knows kind of how to fight from a distance with weaponry, that he's not good in a hand-to-hand conflict. And so she wants him to learn hand-to-hand skills, and Wildcat beats the snot out of him for several pages, although he does avoid taking it to the face for Black Canary's sake. He's he's like, like, He's like, he's, I didn't want to mess his he, face he's up. He's pretty, right. so I'll, I'll, I'll save that for you. Yeah, um, I'll spare the face here. So. But, like, his whole motivation for learning how to fight hand-to-hand is, well, I want to fight side-by-side with Black, Black Canary because I want to be close to her. Sure, makes sense I mean, to that's me. very romantic. That's very sweet. Yeah. And, by the way, 
this is the kind of relationship. This is the. This is Oliver Queen's Lois Lane. All right. It's mm-hmm. it's Oliver and Dinah. Right. None of that felicity, olicity garbage. None of that hashtagging BS. The shipping. No, it's Oliver and Dinah. That's it. Done. Right. This this is the couple, folks. Deal right. with it. And then uh, she says, "We are Green Arrow." Just just kidding. No God. <laughs> Uh, but I, I, the part that I, that I was like laughing for about five minutes was early on in the story where Oliver's protesting. Oh, I don't really need to do this. I'll just make trick arrows. And this and that. Yeah. And then Batman comes out of the uh, out of the lock, presumably the locker. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, Oliver's like, "Well," if, and then Wildcat's talking about Batman, like you know, he he comes in. He still trains once a week, and and so Oliver. Kind of like out of jealousy. Well, if Batman's going to do it, I'm going to do it too, and I'm going to one up. I'm going to try and one up him, right? Yeah. And again, as we were talking about Batman's attitude from last issue, or from the last issue we reviewed, Oliver's like trying to make small talk with Batman, and he's mm-hmm. like, uh, "Oh, it's nice to see you, Batman." He's like, "Of course it is, Oliver." He's like, "How's the Arrow car and the Arrow cave?" You know, like it's, <laughs> it's his ripoff. Yeah, Oliver's ripoff. I just yeah. that made me laugh, uh, and Batman was in the in the classic blue, right? The blue and the gray, yeah, with the yellow oval. And mm-hmm. oh my, Donnie, there is part of me that wants that back in the comics full time. Well, a lot of people like that classic suit. Right. So, however, back back in this story, we see that a character named Yellow Wasp crashes the party. And shoots Wildcat in the head, seemingly killing him. And then we see the genesis of the boxing glove arrow because Oliver's in a situation where he acts he has to act fast, so he kind of cobbles together the you know the boxing glove with the hilt of the arrow, and he shoots yeah. it, and that's how he takes Yellow Wasp out. Yeah. So, and as for Wildcat, it seems he's only mostly dead. There's a difference between mostly dead and all dead. Yeah. He's apparently got six lives left. Right. I don't know how this happened, Donnie. Like, did he go through the same thing Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman did? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's been a while since I read Wildcat, but yeah, so. But I'll roll with it. Why not? It's comics. Um, another story that kind of spoke to me quite a bit was the, I mean, I'll just say... And I, and I won't stay long on it because I really didn't care. This was my least favorite story. Mm-hmm. Was the one with the 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 song? What was it called? Uh, it was well. It was a yeah. It was called. Um, was that the? Was that the sympathy of the woods? No. 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 The arrow in the song. Yeah. That was a song by, uh, that was a, a poem by uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Yeah, okay, well, that might have been a great poem, but I just didn't care about it in the story. Excuse me, Henry, Henry, the Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Yeah. Sure. Well, right. I mean, like I said, the poem on itself is great, it's fine. It's mm-hmm. just, as the backdrop to that story, it was kind of, it was a lull for me. It was like, I liked it because I actually remember, you know, Studying that a little bit like an elementary school. So. Uh, fair enough, fair enough. But it, it was literally my least favorite. Uh, okay. The art was nice, though. I did like the art, so I will yeah. say that. 
in its favor, I thought the art was good. But I really like, you know what was really sort of very poignant and very timely? What? Was the Roy Harper story. Mm-hmm. Where basically Roy is on assignment, like he's scoping out, like he's, he's in the field, essentially. Mm-hmm. That's the word I'm trying, to, I'm trying to look for. And basically he's called and he's like, you have to help us put your kid to bed because we're babysitting and all she wants to hear is the story about the, uh, the what was what was the name of his his daughter uh, uh, Leon no his character the character when he tells her the story when he tells the story he calls himself what like the Native American name that they that, that, Oh right, yeah. I forget exactly what he said there, but yeah, that was the uh, yeah that was a that was the story about his his being raised by the Navajo. Yeah, yeah. And so it's telling that story, and it's talk. It goes through everything from you know Oliver agreeing to take him in after mm-hmm. his mm-hmm. his mentor, the member of the Navajo, uh, died. So Oliver agrees to take him in, and it talks about their you know, their partnership and how eventually Oliver went away on his journeys with Green Arrow in right. uh, Hard Traveling Heroes, which you alluded to at the top of the show. Yes. Um, Massive run. Love that run. Yeah, it's great. And then also, but also, he talks about his drug use, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it talks about that portion of his history and how he died and he came back and, uh, you know, how him and him and Oliver have men- mended fences. Mm-hmm. And you know the book ends on a very nice, um, on a very nice note where yeah, where Oliver, uh, Lee, and, and and Roy are sitting together. Yeah, having as, some nice family time. Yeah, as a family, and I, I really liked it. Um, I love how he called in the story. All uh, Green Arrow was called Green Man. That was kind of funny. <laughs> uh, and how shocked that Oliver was that. Roy had told his kid about his drug use, mm-hmm. right, like even at that young age. Mm-hmm. But Roy's whole thing is, you know, I want complete honesty with him. You know, I don't, yeah. Wanna, yeah. which is kind of cool. So I, I really like that story, like the family angle uh, right. of right. that story, and also the the highlighting of the Navajo, you know, sure. tribe, because <laughs> in today's day and age. We're seeing a lot uh, of mistreatment mm-hmm. of of native communities. Um, mm-hmm. Especially here, um, uh, we we've we've discovered. Unfortunately, they they have they used to have these schools. Um, yes, uh, that story's gotten covered here too. It's kind of community schools and. And they've unfortunately found the, the remains of, of, of 125 uh, plus children and, and the mistreatment that, that, that they endured back back in those days. So to have this story feature and feature in a positive light, uh, but also that little you know blurb at the end about uh, sort of the editor's note about how we should respect and, and learn about the past and, and learn about the native peoples. I thought it was very powerful and very strong. So uh, 
it was a really uh, uh, hard-hitting uh, issue, but also uh, emotionally rewarding in the sense that it, the, the, the moral of the story is the family dynamic, mm-hmm. uh, and, I, and I, I really, I really appreciated that. Um, so th- that was a story for me that, that, that was that resonated. Um, and there's one that you alluded to. Uh, you've, you've referenced the title. I think it was in into, in the woods or what's it called? Into the. Uh, let's see which the names of this story. Uh, uh, yeah, the sympathy of the woods. Yeah, I like that one a lot too. Because again, it features Team Arrow, if you mm-hmm. will. Team right, Arrow. right. And like you know, the whole hey. thing is Oliver and Dinah have had a disagreement, right? <laughs> argument. Oliver's gone off into the woods to sort of vent mm-hmm. and 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 just you know let out frustration, and he's being hunted by Merlin. Mm-hmm. And he would have also almost been shot by Merlin had it not been for the intervention of Team Arrow. So that mm-hmm. includes Dinah, Emiko, and Diggle. Diggle. Yeah. Diggle. Yeah. Yeah. And I like how they all saved him. And I like how, again, the message is family. What did you think? Is there, what did you think of those? Oh, I, I definitely like that story. I, you know, there wasn't any story in here that I particularly disliked at all. Um, I should mention, you know, let, let's talk a little bit about each one. The fourth story, uh, excuse me, the third story, we see uh, Green Arrow in his iconic costume. And I think it was called Who Watches the Watchtower? That was a good one, too. Yeah. 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 It's funny because the aliens that attacked the ship immediately, I thought, oh, the symbiotes. That's <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, 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 that's a different universe. That's but, what happens uh, when you read Venom and Green Arrow back to back. <laughs> but then, you know, he, he uses that bow, that like alien bow from another dimension to fend them off. I thought that was really cool, you know. And I also like the humor as, you know, the Justice League getting back and seeing all the carnage around the Watchtower. And they're like, hey, what's going on here? And he's like, yeah, nothing much. <laughs> yeah, I, I love how... How... Like, he's upset because he's like, I just want to go on the mission with the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, but then he gets, you know, he, like, he thought he was in for a boring night. Meanwhile. Yeah, he, he has like, to fight off an alien invasion by himself. So. Yeah. And yeah. I like how secretly, like, you know, nonchalant he's with the league. Oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and the contention with, with uh, Hawkman was kind of interesting. So we also get a story. It's Green Arrow and Shadow. They intervene to stop human trafficking. Uh, this was written and illustrated by Mike Grell, who is someone that Green Lantern fans will know from Volume 2. They outmaneuver the traffickers. They beat the odds and stop them. Very reminiscent of the Longbow Hunters. Now, Donnie, was this a fresh story? or It wasn't a reprint, right? It was new. No, there, there was some... The, the middle there, that, that one like couple of pages that reprinted panels and like use them in a way that was like uh telling you like basically how to handle life's problems that was the only reprint yeah so. but 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 this one by mike Grell was new right because yeah it was new yeah I, well, the reason why i'm getting at that is because at the end it said at the end of the story it said definitely not the end right definitely not so the i'm end. posing a question to you donnie 
given that Oliver is now the quote unquote leader of the Justice League. Mm-hmm. And now we have this 80th anniversary special. Mm-hmm. Do you think we're fixing to see at some point here a brand new ongoing with Green Arrow? I don't see why they wouldn't. I mean, you know, this Green Arrow is more visible in pop culture than he's ever been coming on the heels of the TV show. So why not? Yeah. You got me thinking when I saw Definitely Not the End, I'm like, oh, are they hinting at something? Hmm. Yeah. So, and since we already talked a little bit, and the art, uh, my God, Mike Grell, oh my God. Oh, yeah. Well, again, Mike Grell, somebody who's been around for a long time, very impressive. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so we talked about uh, the Arrow and the song story. Uh, we also get a story that features my favorite version of, of Arrow, which is Connor Hawk. Mm. Now, that was probably my biggest disappointment with this book, and I excuse me for being myopic. But no, no, Kyle Rayner. I would have loved to have seen Connor and Kyle team up again. But uh, he rescues some hostages from terrorists uh, using his trademark arrows. And remember, this is a character who was conceived at you know multiracial vegetarian. Doesn't use the uh, the pointed arrows. Uses his own stylized arrows to like maim and take down, but he doesn't kill. So yeah, this was a story that very much like give you. Gave you his personality in a nutshell. Yeah, it's funny because it, and it takes place in between, like a past run, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's in between that period where Oliver was dead, mm-hmm. and so it's a new story, but it's also it could slide into continuity quite easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, but. Um, yeah, I, it was a good story. I, I liked it. Again, it would have been nice to see Kyle, but right, right. So we get another story, and that is Oliver clashing with human traffickers again. But this time, he's tracking a girl who's a metahuman, and he comes into conflict with some very well-known villains, Count Vertigo and Onomatopoeia. And we get a hard traveling hero's callback with Hal Jordan intervening, questioning Oliver's methods. Oliver gives him a headbutt, takes him out, and he's able to to kind of save the girl by convincing her that he's on her side, convincing her of his intentions. You know, that seems to be a theme, Donnie, but uh, we covered this when we talked about, uh, we did a spotlight on Hal Jordan. Mm -hmm. Um, Hal getting hit in the head. (laughs) It happens a lot, especially in volume two, it happens a lot. is, Is something, I mean... If you did concussion tests on Hal Jordan, I'm, I'm sure you'd find some evidence of a concussion. I would um, think so. Although you, you know the 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 rings have like you know healing properties to their to their wielders, so yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah, right. Um, and you know what I like about all these stories, pretty much. What's that? Dude, uh, and uh, with green, except for the alien one, I, I guess. But most of them are down to earth. Like, oh yeah. The evil that he's confronting is down to earth, like human trafficking, drug trafficking. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's the kind of stuff Green Arrow is largely tackling. I dig that. 
And that is a message to Warner Media and DC Films that if you ever made a, a Green Lantern film, you wouldn't need a ridiculously high budget. No. And apparently, Journey Smollett Bell, who played Black Canary, is available because Lovecraft's country. I, I think you meant Green Arrow, not Green Lantern. Did I say Green Lantern? You said Green Lantern, yeah. yeah. With Green I Lantern, mean, yeah, yeah. You no. wouldn't need, Green you need a huge budget. budget. <laughs> yeah. Green Arrow, you don't need a big budget. No, and not at all. No. Journey Smollett Bell, who played Black Canary in Birds of Prey, might be more available now because Lovecraft Country is not returning for a second season. So HBO Max, I don't know, a Green Arrow movie with Oliver and Black Canary? Make it happen. Sure. And this time, put him with Dinah Lance. I don't want to see Chloe Sullivan from Smallville hook up with him. And I certainly as hell don't want that with that that's definitely, especially that version of Chloe, so that's out of question now. But, and I definitely don't want to see Felicity Spoke. Give me a good grounded 50 to $60 million Mac, you know, HBO Max movie or show. Journey Smollett Bell and whoever you want to cast as Oliver Queen. Come on, make it happen, Warner Media. Hey, sure. But you can continue on. Okay, so we hit on the story with Merlin the Dark Archer. And there was also a story where what was it? Their anniversary, Green Arrow and Black Canary. They were having a they were having a fight with one another. I love this one. Yeah, and Oliver's captured by Deathstroke, and of course they have to put their differences aside and work as a unit to take him down. So yeah, that was a fun piece of character development there. Yeah, their relationship banter is the best. I yeah, mean. yeah. Well, I mean, they're iconic. I mean, come on now. Yeah. And Deathstroke is like, you guys make me sick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the commentary with the cheeks. And that's where you, by the way, and that's who you use as the villain in my proposed Green Arrow, Green Lantern, or Green sure. Arrow, Black Canary movie. Yeah. You use Deathstroke. Since everybody's banging the door down to have Joe Manganiello come back as Deathstroke, which I wouldn't be opposed to. I, I actually quite like his casting. Right? Mm -hmm. But I don't need to see him as a Batman villain. I want to see him as a villain for Oliver Queen. Sure. Speaking of villains, the story, the final days of Green Arrow, where he goes back to the island, which villain was it that he thought he was going to come in conflict with? I, I wasn't forget. sure. I he mentioned him in the story. I'm, I'm sorry for not uh, forget. But anyway, it actually doesn't happen. We see a very old Oliver Queen, and this is, I think it's called The Last Days of Green Arrow. Yeah. It's basically old man Oliver. Right. He goes back to the island and he's preparing for this battle. And then it kind of like leaves you with a little with some questions to kind of fill in the answers yourself because he is all of a sudden having this conversation with a younger version of himself. Yeah. And, you know, kind of making peace. And so, you know, are we wondering, is this an Oliver from another dimension? Is yeah. he having a vision? Is he dreaming or something or other? But he's kind of coming to you know, terms with his, with his life and, you know, coming to, and being at peace with himself. So I thought that and, was an interesting story. And it was done by a creative team that had a great run on, on Green Arrow. Mm -hmm. and Jeff Lemire and uh, yeah. Andrea Sorrento, I think it is. Yeah. I, I love the story. It was great. 
All right. Well, the last story, uh, I got to mentally prepare myself to talk about this last story. As good as all these stories were, the last story, even though it doesn't, it's not a Green Arrow story directly, one of the biggest contributors in Green Arrow's history was Dennis O'Neill, who passed away a little over a year ago. And this story, who was written by his son, Larry, it absolutely blew me away. This was one of the most emotional things I've ever read because this was this was a retelling of Dennis O'Neill's life in a way that was absolute genius. There there wasn't any actual dialogue. It was it was word balloons, but like conveying concepts, creative concepts and things that ideas that Denny O'Neill thought about at different points in his life. And you saw so many different things. You know, you saw his time at D.C. You saw him as a young man. You saw him, his military service. You saw him. Um, you see him with his wife. Yeah, you see him with his wife. And I, I saw, like I said, I'm a little taken aback by this. It was, oh, man. At the end, though, you see him in a hospital bed and kind of the ideas fading from his mind as his life ebbs away with an exposition box that says, good night, good night, pops, excuse me, good night, pops. You know, Denny O'Neill, it's people like that. The reason why Adam and I are here doing podcasts like this is because, you know, there's a part of the human spirit that needs these kinds of stories that this is what gives us release and hope and it's people like dennis o'neill who comes along with extraordinary talent and makes something like like you know hard traveling heroes it makes something like his extraordinary batman run um so we said it on a podcast before but i think it bears saying again you know Good night and Godspeed, Mr. O'Neill. Thank you for everything. So, I mean, I, I echo the sentiments completely. And, and uh, I, I mean, I think he's touched at least all of the top tier characters at DC. Uh, uh, I think his Batman, his run on, on Batman, is essentially the basis for the Batman that I identify with the most. I mean, yes, you could say, you know, Frank Miller, yeah, Batman Year One, etc., etc., but. Correct if I'm wrong, wasn't Denny O'Neill the the group editor of the Batman books at that time, I think? I, I think so, yeah. So yeah. again, without Denny O'Neill, Frank Miller doesn't come on that book. Mm-hmm. And with all the, the work that Denny O'Neill did on the book prior to uh, 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 Frank Miller coming on, you know, Batman is a very different character. You know, he really brought back in terms of the, in, at least in the comics. I mm-hmm. think it was Daniel O'Neill and his run 
that brought back the the serious, grounded, darker Batman. Mm-hmm. You know, more so than just Frank Miller. And I'm, I'm not belittling Frank Miller's contributions at all. I'm just saying, you need Danny O'Neill's foundation before oh, right. Frank yeah. can come in and do what he does. You know, same with, look at Hard Traveling Heroes. That, like you said, you know, I've gone back and done some reading of it, and it's fantastic. And it's oh, yeah. Easy, I mean, that was, fantastic. yeah. It was groundbreaking. You know, people, there was a time when people said the comic books couldn't say anything important, that it was all, you know, just kind of artificial fluff stories. Well, if you read something like Hard Traveling Heroes, you absolutely cannot say that because Denny O'Neill touched on some of the, you know, biggest, the most important areas of life, you know, things like racism and drug yeah, use. Yeah, we covered and, that in a yeah. talk with John Stewart, remember? Yeah, right. So, um, you, you know, he had a, a big influence on several characters that I podcast about. So, um, and I remember whenever he was on, like, doing an interview, you know, for one of the special features, uh, you know, that accompanied one of the movies or the, or the DC documentaries or what have you, I could listen to that guy talk about these characters for hours. Uh, you can't fake that kind of enthusiasm. I mean, the guy lived and breathed stories, and you just have to respect that for not only for people like us, but for generations in the future who will enjoy these kind of stories. So, I know, and uh, you know, I think I think maybe at some point down the road, you and I could maybe comb through some of his Batman run and some of his Heart Dropping Heroes run. We'll do sure, we'll sure, do some retrospective on that. Um, but uh, and yeah. speaking of hard traveling here, I had to get the. Uh, of course, I got the Neil Adams. Of course, I, well, let, let's come on. Let's be honest, Donnie. When I saw the variants, the first one I said, "Okay, Donnie's getting that one." That was <laughs> it. Um, but again, uh, just that last page, the one that you alluded to. It's just so powerful because you know, in that hospital room. Were all the heroes and and villains that mm-hmm. he yeah, right. had a hand in shaping? Yeah, you know, you know, the Joker was there too. Yeah, and yeah. revitalizing, um, we're all there, yeah. and so you know, I hope that that he is resting well uh, and and looking down wherever he may be, you know happy and and can be i guess content in the in the in the knowledge that his contribution mm-hmm. is is present still and will be everlasting i think he made a lot of people's lives better and his work will continue to do so and so I think that's a good note to sort of wrap this up. So overall, Donnie, uh, I guess let's do it as an overall book. Right. Story, right. art, as a whole, how would you? You know, I, I'm going to give the art a perfect 10 because there were so many various five, styles. Five. Or five, excuse me, perfect five out of five. And, you know, the writing, um, there were a couple stories that, wouldn't be specifically my cup of tea, but I'm going to give it a five because I think for people, 
if you are a big Green Arrow fan, if you really liked any of the various runs and you pick this up, you're going to get the flavor from that particular era at some point in this book. So, again, if you're a Green Arrow fan, this is something that I think you're going to want to pick up. So, right. Um, yeah, I, I think for story, I'm going to give it. There was only one story that I really didn't care for. Uh, as you know, I'm not going to say which one it is again. I'm not going to belabor the point. It just wasn't my thing. I didn't care for it. So for that reason, I'm, I'm going to knock uh, a half a point off. I'll say 4.5 out of 5 for the writing story. But for the art, like so many different styles, but so but each page looked beautiful. Um, and I was engrossed by each story because of the artwork. Um, so that gets a 5, a full 5. This was a great love letter and look back and retrospective on the Green Arrow character. And more than anything, to me, it solidifies that this character, I'm glad that he's the leader of the Justice League now, or the financer, or however you want to look at it. But this this character needs a new solo book. And that's what this book highlighted for me. And there it is. Um, so, uh, if you want to, you know, keep the conversation about Green Arrow uh, or Infinite Frontier going, you can on social media with Donnie or I. So, Donnie, where do they find you? You can find me on Twitter as the Emerald Enthusiast. Let's talk comics. Let's talk collectibles. Let's talk Green Arrow. Let's talk Green Lantern. Fantastic. If you want to track me down, it's at Adam underscore Leesfan on Twitter. The podcast network has a Twitter page in itself, which is at MMNPTC. We have a Facebook page, which is linked below. If you want to join the group, uh, click the link below, request permission. I will add you, and we can continue the conversation there. But that brings an end to this show. We hope you enjoyed it. We enjoyed bringing it to you. And until next time, remember that Green Arrow is forever. From the first time he fires an arrow out of his bow to the last. So long, everybody. So long. Don't forget to subscribe.